The following presentation of Walking Through the Twelve Steps and Twelve Traditions is from a previous broadcast and is a production of Take 12 Recovery Radio. Some portions of this show may have included promotions or giveaways that were time-sensitive and may no longer be applicable. To listen and download more of Walking Through the Twelve Steps and Twelve Traditions, visit our website at take12radio.com and click on Recovery Workshops. I've got to give it up. The views expressed on this episode of Walking Through the Twelve Steps and Twelve Traditions with Chris Schroeder do not necessarily reflect those of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting or our affiliates. KHLT is not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship. Now here's those two guys who investigate prior to contempt, Chris and the Monty Man. Well, greetings, family, and welcome to another fine episode of Walking Through the Twelve Steps and Twelve Traditions with Chris Schroeder and myself, the Monty Man, here at Take12Radio.com on your internet dial. Our email address is Take12Radio at Comcast.net. And uh, you can follow all the links on our webpage at Take12Radio.com to all of our other shows as well. Well, hello there, Chris. Hey, Monty. How are you doing this week? I'm doing great, my friend. And it's been a it's it's been a one of those weeks that seems to have gone by so quickly. I don't even remember hanging up from you last week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, it's 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 been a great time, and we are uh, getting ready to uh, launch forth. On the third tradition, the only requirement for AA membership is a desire to stop drinking. Yeah, uh, that's a, that's a tradition that gets a lot of uh, a lot of debate time. Uh, there there are dif- differing uh, viewpoints on it. There are you know some of the hardcore conservatives in twelve step organizations who uh, who believe uh, believe in one thing, and then there's a very very liberal view of it, you know, coming from another direction, but um, uh, it's a very, very interesting tradition. I think, uh, I think certainly Bill's intention was uh, was good when uh, when he put it together. Though I think uh, I think it was more of um, more of an idea for inclusion than right. it was for exclusion. And uh, but it kind of it kind of can do both when you when you look sure and, and and don't you think that a lot of times uh, you see this in all sorts of organizations uh, that have bylaws or or, or or rules of of guidance or in this case traditions um, that somewhere in the translation as the years go by we start arguing about semantics and things like that that really wasn't an issue in the beginning. Yeah, that's true. You know, it was a different uh, landscape in 1950. Uh, you know, membership in, a, in an organization like Alcoholics Anonymous was kind of a much more serious deal. You know, back yeah. in 1950. Yeah, it's it's almost it's almost become the thing to do. 
think, yeah. you know, in our day, <laughs> day and age, unfortunately, like you, you know, you see you see so many so many uh, uh, celebrities and people like that who, who are kind of hinting at membership in AA or or uh, or speaking about their own sobriety. Uh, uh, it's it's kind of made it uh, less you know less impactful really to to be a member of an organization like. Uh, like Alcoholics Anonymous, I think. But, you know, so you, you, whenever, you're, whenever you're assessing uh, material, you, you need to be able to place yourself in the, uh, uh, in the atmosphere of wh- when it was written. You know, in other words, to, to, really, to really understand Bill uh, and these traditions, you kind of have to know a little bit about the early 50s and what was going on in Alcoholics Anonymous, it's easy to interpret uh, the material uh, from from the from the viewpoint of today's day and age, and and if you do that, you're gonna you're gonna miss out on you know the the culture and uh, and the time that it was written in, and the things that uh, you know the the reasoning behind uh, Bill's uh, Bill's writing these. Uh, is a little bit more understandable when you when you when you know what was going on in AA 15 years after it started. Sure, sure, you bet. Well, that's why I love this show so much is because we get to open up some of that stuff and talk about some of that stuff. That a lot of the comments I get from people is, I I never heard that before. Um, upon further investigation, I'm finding how interesting and and not just educational, but how much it's benefiting my own recovery. You know, and that's why I love what we do. Yeah, you know, there was certainly a period of time when I spent a whole lot more uh, time studying the the history of it. You know, you you have uh, you have Dick B on a lot, and you know, there, there's some other people that uh, know a whole lot more than I'll ever know. They've probably forgotten more than I'll ever know about some of the historical aspects. But there was a time when I paid attention to it. You know, I, I believe that the literature, the literature of, of Alcoholics Anonymous saved my life. Uh, sure. It, it, point, it pointed me in a, a spiritual direction and a spiritual answer for, uh, for the problem that I was, I was suffering from. I was basically suffering from alcoholism. So, uh, so I'm, you know, I'm very fond of and very loyal to uh, the message that you find in uh, in both the book Alcoholics Anonymous and the Twelve and Twelve, uh, you know that that particular message, the uh, the recovery process and program uh, that's laid out in in those books, uh, are very near and dear to me because that's you know that's basically what I you know the the recovery process I've engaged in uh, myself for my own personal demons. Yep, and th- and and, uh, and thank you know, God. I, uh, What's that? I was going to say, thank God we we both had people come alongside of us that knew what they were talking about to to walk us through this stuff. You know, you you do have to have informed and experienced uh, guides. Uh, if you don't, and, and listen, it's not a given that you're going to be exposed to them. If you go into an AA meeting or an NA meeting or a CA meeting, it is not a given that you're going to be put in front of someone who's experienced mm-hmm. and informed as far as the process is concerned. Uh, there's, you know, there's no quality control in those fellowships. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They go from they go from incredibly horrible to unbelievably wonderful. And and it's it's in that spectrum that you're gonna you're gonna land, 
And it's not a given that you're going to be put in front of somebody who really understands what needs to happen and what you need to do. So, uh, so uh, if you're someone uh, out there now who's listening, who uh, are one of those people who have gone to AA for a while or gone to NA for a while, really not found a sufficient answer there, and you continue to struggle uh, along as best you can, uh, you know, without the help of any of those support fellowships, please understand that it's very possible. It's even very likely that you went to some really bad meetings where there were people who were not experienced, not informed, mm-hmm. didn't really have their eye on the ball. They were they were engaging in a fellowship activity with little clue, you know. And and uh, again, a lot of times when I'm when I'm uh, surfing around YouTube or something, Monty, I find people who ha- who have uh, have put up videos that are very disparaging of AA or NA or. Or any of the any of the spiritual recovery programs, and and every time every time I listen to one of them, uh, I am I I come away absolutely convinced that they did not experience uh, the recovery program. They might have gone to a bad fellowship meeting, but they've never experienced ever uh, the recovery program. Yeah, and, you know they they did not pay the money back in step nine. They did not uh, develop a prayer and meditation uh, discipline uh, in step 11. They, they don't take other people through the steps as you're guided to in step 12. Uh, they, they did not uh, com- completely uh, admit everything about their lives, holding absolutely nothing back to another human being. They've missed out on uh, the magic of the process. And there's a lot of there's a lot of meanings that you can land into with inexperienced and uninformed uh, people as far as the traditions are concerned or as far as how how the meetings are, are best run. There's a lot of times uh, that you know there there was a uh, there was a support group that uh, that uh, I've gone to off and on for a long time, and there's a person who leads the meeting who has never never been exposed to or doesn't believe in or refuses to accept uh, the principle of rotation. Uh, this individual um. has been running this particular meeting, chairing it like uh, like uh, you know a drill sergeant for many years, and. And that's someone who is inexperienced and uninformed as far as how things are yeah. supposed to work. Because, because there's a principle of rotation, and even if you're the best person for uh, the chairmanship of that meeting, you should not do it past a certain point. It, you, should, you should rotate out and go do something different and let somebody else have an opportunity at it, even if you're by far the best choice for that position. You're, just, you're still supposed to leave because it's a principle of, uh, of rotation. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm getting into the weeds a little bit here, Monty, but uh, I think I am making a point that, you are. Uh, that, that you need to be experienced and you need to be informed, or else, you know, please keep your opinions to yourself because you could be hurting people uh, gravely with an opinion like AA doesn't work. Or or NA is filled with sexual predators, or or whatever blanket statement oh, you want to you want to <laughs> just throw out there with your limited experience, you could be doing grave damage. 
And I get that. I get those kind of comments on my YouTube posts all the time. Yeah. All the time. (laughs) And every once in a while, believe it or not, Monty, I think we even get criticized, don't we? Yeah, yeah, at least by one person. I I don't (laughs) understand how that's possible, being such, such, you know, wonderful examples of, uh, you know, uh, spiritual progress as ourselves, but yeah. uh, every once in a while that does happen. We are the personification of this whole thing, right? <laughs> yeah, with people with, with uh, humility as, as large as ours probably shouldn't criticize <laughs> ever, but it does happen. I, I got to say, before we start, I was in, in, in uh, one of the uh, big box stores the other day, and there was a T-shirt that said, rule number one, I'm always right. Rule number two, if you think I'm wrong, refer to rule number one. And uh, my wife wouldn't let me get it. <laughs> that's great. That's, that's great. But, uh, but anyway, well, you know, we should probably get started yeah. uh, on, on Tradition 3. Let me start. We are reading on page 139 from the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions. Tradition 3, the only requirement for AA membership is a desire to stop drinking. This tradition is packed with meaning. For AA is... Re- for AA is really saying to every serious drinker, you are an AA member if you say so. Um, to every serious drinker, you know, what, I, what I'm going to do, Monty, is I'm going to point out some of the things that a lot of people uh, miss when they look at this tradition. Some people really think this tradition says, all you need to do is identify yourself as an addict or as a, you know, if you're in a, in, in, uh, in NA, NA. as a mm-hmm. drug addict, all you need to do is identify. You, you don't necessarily have to have a specific experience, but uh, I, I, believe, I believe that's wrong. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to point out, uh, uh, point out some of the things that lead to uh, maybe a more critical reading of this stuff. Okay. So to every serious drinker, it says you are an AA member if you say so. You can declare yourself in. Nobody can keep you out, no matter who you are, no matter how low you've gone, no matter how grave your emotional complications, even your crimes. We still can't deny you AA. We don't want to keep you out. We aren't a bit afraid you'll harm us, never mind how twisted or violent you may be. We just want to be sure that you get the same great chance for sobriety that we've had. So you're an AA member the minute you declare yourself. Now, uh, that is very, very inclusional. That is basically saying any any serious drinker, anybody who is recognizing a serious drinking problem, you you can avail yourself of Alcoholics Anonymous. No one can keep you out. Now your behavior may be so unsettling that people will ask you out of specific meetings, uh, but you you cannot be you cannot be asked out of AA as a whole. So what they're really saying saying here in the context of this thing is you may think that you are the worst of the worst, and it's okay, you're welcome. It's not what other people would interpret that you could just walk in and say you're a member. Yeah, yeah, you know, like there, there's, been, uh, there's been treatment centers that have, that have, because they only have the one van, <laughs> you know, yeah. they bring everybody to an AA meeting, uh, drug addicts, alcoholics, there, there could be people that have, you know, never drank at all. They, they tried it, and it didn't... It, it didn't agree with them, and so they, they got caught up in opiates. There's many people like that. And there's sometimes treatment centers or halfway houses or whatever that bring people to AA meetings and say, just introduce yourself as an alcoholic. You know, a drug is a drug is a drug. And people that 
basically say that, Monty, are inexperienced, uninformed, and they only got the one van. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, so there are some there are some differences, and, and listen, it's not about being exclusionary. It's about it's about offering something that works for somebody. There there, there is some great literature that Bill Wilson wrote. It, it's basically his lectures uh, to the Yale School on Alcohol Studies, where he talks about listen, we we let we let uh, drug addicts, we let opium addicts into AA, uh, and we've got experience with that. It, it doesn't work for them, you know. They're 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 not. He's not saying let's throw them out. He's basically saying it, it doesn't work for them. They aren't able to identify at the same level that an alcoholic will identify. Now, if you have if you have an alcohol history and and an opiate history, you know that that's completely different. But if you have no history at all with alcohol, no experience at all with alcohol, uh, it's very, very clear in our literature, there's no way to make you an AA member. You can't be made an AA member. Mm -hmm. You can't figure out how to do that, because Alcoholics Anonymous, believe it or not, is for alcoholics. <laughs> Sometimes it's, it's yeah. hard to believe, but <laughs> you know, in the word, you know, it's pretty, much, it's pretty much explained. But let me keep going. Uh, to establish this principle of membership took years of harrowing experience. In our early time, nothing seemed so fragile, so easily breakable as an AA group. Hardly an alcoholic we approached paid any attention. Most of those who did join us were like flickering candles in a windstorm. Time after time, their uncertain flames blew out and couldn't be relighted. Our unspoken, consistent thought was, which of us may be next? A member gave us a vivid glimpse of those days. At one time, he says, every AA group had many membership rules. Everybody was scared witless that something or somebody would capsize the boat and dump all of us back into the drink. Our, our foundation office asked each group to send in its list of protective regulations. The total list was a mile long. If all those rules had been in effect everywhere, nobody could have possibly joined AA at all. So great was the sum of our anxiety and fear. So isn't that interesting? They, wow. actually, asked, they actually asked all the groups for their membership rules put them all in one list, went through them, and, and basically said there, there, there's no way, there's no way anyone could be a member if all of these rules were enforced. And uh, there, was a, there was a great lesson to, uh, to be learned from that. That's amazing. <laughs> we were resolved to admit nobody to AA, but that hypothetical class of people we termed pure alcoholics. Remember, this is being written in, like, 52, Monty. Isn't that cool? <laughs> Except for their guzzling and the unfortunate results thereof, they could have no other complications. So beggars, tramps, asylum inmates, prisoners, queers, plain crackpots, and fallen women were definitely out. Yes, sir, we'd cater only to pure and respectable alcoholics. Any <laughs> others would surely destroy us. Besides, if we took in those odd ones, what would decent people say about us? We built a fine mesh fence right around AA. Maybe this sounds comical now. Maybe you think we old-timers are pretty intolerant. But I can tell you there was nothing funny about the situation then. We were grim because we felt our lives and homes were threatened and that that was no laughing matter. Intolerant, you say? Well, we were frightened. Naturally, we began to act like most everybody does when afraid. After all, isn't fear the true basis of intolerance? Yes, we were intolerant. How could we then guess that all those fears were to prove groundless? 
How could we know that thousands of these sometimes frightening people were to make astonishing recoveries and become our greatest workers and intimate friends? Was it credible that AA was to have divorce rate far lower than average? Could we then foresee that troublesome people were to become our principal teachers of patience and tolerance? Could any of them imagine a society which would include every conceivable kind of character and cut across every barrier of race, creed, politics, and language with ease? You know, Money, you said something, you said something before, uh, you know, that, that uh, I'm, I'm still thinking about. And, and it's basically, sometimes we think we are so horrible that we couldn't qualify for membership anywhere. No one, no one is going to like us or want right. to deal with us. You know, and, and and again, I felt a little bit of that in my early days. Uh, and and you know, you know, I think the answer here that uh, that, that Bill is talking about um, full inclusion, as long as you actually have a drinking history or or are alcoholic or have a, a serious desire not to quit drinking, uh, as long as all those things are are in place, you know, you need you need to be told, you need to be shown that. Membership is not uh, uh, membership is not contingent upon anything except your willingness to participate, and that's that's kind of a wonderful feeling for for people like us who can sometimes be in in grave danger, uh, terrible terrible circumstances and positions. You know, when we hit our bottom, we you know we are we are not the most lovely of people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Have you have you learned um, or have become more compassionate towards people that maybe at one time in your life you thought, how in the world could anybody do that? But because of your involvement with 12-step fellowships, have more of a compassion towards those people now? You, you know, there's a couple of things that have changed. Uh when I first started working with people, uh, you know, with, with addictive illness, uh, they would be drinking on me. You, you know what I mean? Like, uh -huh. I've been working with him, and I sat with the family, and I went to traffic court with them, and, you know, I counseled them. I'm on the phone. He drank on me. <laughs> I, I would take it very, very personal, but the behavior of these characters, you know, not really, not really understanding, the, uh, you know, not really fully understanding about where they are on the scale or where they are with, with their, their willingness or their participation level. You know, uh, I, think, I think with spiritual growth comes compassion. So I think the more, uh, more uh, say, meetings you go to, I think the more uh, steps you work, I think the more service commitments you I engage in, the more, the more people you, you sponsor or take through the steps, the more compassionate you're going to become. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I don't take things personally anymore. Sometimes if it's a family member, I'll take it personally. That's why you're kind of not supposed to work with your own family members, because detaching emotionally uh, from the situation is very difficult when it's your flesh and blood. But uh, but I can I can work with people, and, and I can, you know, and, and listen, Monty, this may sound terrible, they can die from, uh, from, from an OD or uh, or or, or uh, drink themselves to death, and I've been working with them for years, and I will be able to sleep that night. Yeah, I, I understand that. I, I didn't used it, to, but I, I've experienced it. Yep, you bet. It, it, it won't tear me up because because I I understand that you know not everyone makes it. My my job is to help. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I'm not in charge of the results. 
God is in charge of the results. I'm in charge of, you know, think of it like this. You know, I'm basically a conduit. I'm basically an aqueduct. I am not the living water. Right. You know, uh, so so when, when I'm trying to help somebody, I'm acting as an aqueduct, hoping that I can align them uh, to such a degree that the living water uh, uh, can uh, uh, can affect their recovery. You know, the grace of God. Yeah, uh, that's really kind of what I do, and so you know, I, I try not to take it personally. Now, in the early days of uh, of attending support groups. Uh, I was very sensitive and conscious about certain things. Certain things in those groups would annoy the heck out of me. Like, you know, somebody sharing something I didn't like or, or you know, uh, somebody obviously being drunk or high and, you know, taking the meeting hostage with some opinion. You know, th- those kind of things drove me out of my mind. And, and you know, today I, I can see them all for what they are. Uh, to some degree, we are all uh, emotionally and spiritually ill uh, on some level. Some of us might be a little further along the road uh, to recovery than others, but you know, none, none of us none of us are better than anybody else. If that makes any sense. Yeah, I think one of my favorite uh, uh, pieces of a sentence in the Big Book is is that statement: "They like ourselves." <laughs> we're perhaps yeah. spiritually sick. That that has saved my bacon so many times from becoming emotionally distraught over somebody else's behavior. You know, if you if you think you are so high and mighty, uh, do another fourth step. Yeah, you know, do a really honest fourth step and see what see what comes. Up. You know, sometimes you you recognize that you're so petty and that, and that you know you know so much you should be behaving <laughs> so much better than you are. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like like I was I was in a I was in a negotiation today and I you know I did my best. It was uh it was a it was the type of negotiation where you have a real you know, it's really a contentious atmosphere and oh. one, one group of people are, are you know are taking a certain position and you're taking a position as the employer and you know your whole job in the negotiation is to meet somewhere that's that's acceptable to both parties. And it can it can get really contentious. It can get really uh, you, you know uh, 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 really tense. And uh, at, a couple of times during this negotiation, I acted inappropriately. I said some inappropriate things. You know, I, I don't I don't think that they were horribly inappropriate. They just you know with with uh, with a very sound and unemotional uh, 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 state of mind. I, I probably wouldn't have said those things. But you know, I get out of the I get out of the negotiations, and I say, you know, I should have handled that a little bit better. You know, being being sober all this time and working all these spiritual principles, you know, I, I can't believe I let I let that individual get to me. <laughs> and and you know, those things just those kind of things just show you that I, I don't think you're ever going to be perfect. I think there's always going to be uh, uh, the the availability of specific defects uh, creeping up uh, and and influencing you influencing you in negative ways, uh, and and again I'm almost glad of that, Monty, because if I would have become perfect at five years or at ten years, I probably would have become very bored with the whole thing. Sure. Uh, and, and if you're perfect, why why continue to seek perfection? 
you're you're already perfect. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I'm even glad today. I'm even glad today that that things aren't a hundred percent right in my world. It, it gives me something to continue to work on. It gives me a goal to to head toward, and it gives me motivation to keep up the work because it does get better. Yeah, it just doesn't get perfect. Right, you right. Know? Makes total sense to me, man. Because I, I, yeah, I, it, it's like that thorn in the flesh kind of thing. You know, it keeps me close to God. Don't remove it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's right where we need to be. Yeah. Why did AA finally drop all its membership regulations? Why did we leave it to each newcomer to decide himself whether he was an alcoholic and whether we should he should join us? Uh, notice where it says whether he was an alcoholic, it says here. There's a second thing I'm going to point out. Mm. Uh, each newcomer can decide himself whether he was an alcoholic and whether he should join us. Now, how do you know if you're an alcoholic? Well, you read the first uh, 50 pages of the book, Alcoholics Anonymous. Sure. Uh, you know, you read step one in this book. Uh, there, are, there are places where you can uh, you can get the information uh, that you need to be able to say whether you are or not. Uh, why did we dare to say, contrary to the experience of society and of government everywhere, that we would uh, neither punish nor deprive any AA of membership, that we must never compel anyone to pay anything, believe anything, or conform to anything? The answer now, seen in Tradition 3, was simplicity itself. At last, experience taught us that to take away any alcoholic's full chance was sometimes to pronounce his death sentence, and often to condemn, him, to condemn him to endless misery. Who dared to be judge, jury, and executioner of his own sick brother? And that's absolutely, we cannot be no. judge, jury, and executioner. But uh, I, I will go back to the paragraph before, where it says we must never compel anyone to pay anything, believe anything, or conform to anything. We can't make somebody conform to something, but I'll tell you what, alcohol can you know, what Bill is saying is we can't be the judge, jury, executioner, and persuader. You know, the great, the great persuader. We, we can't. Al- that's alcohol's job. You know, people, people tend to relapse a lot more uh, these days than they did when this book was written. When this book was written, uh, success rates were, were pretty high compared to what they are now. Nowadays... Uh, I think uh, there's a number of reasons why I think mm-hmm. uh, uh, relapse rates are higher, and I won't get into those now. But I, but I will tell you this. I don't think anybody was ever convinced by somebody else that they should come into AA or NA or any of the other A's and totally conform. I don't, I don't think that, that that happened. I think it happens because of pain. The motivator is suffering and pain and the suffering and pain that alcoholism or drug addiction brings on. I think that's what the great motivator is. That so desperation. We don't need somebody at the door. If, if, if we're hitting our bottom, we don't need somebody at the door telling us that we don't belong. And, and Bill Wilson is absolutely right with that. Right. As group after group saw these possibilities, they finally abandoned all membership reg- regulations. One dramatic experience after another clinched this determination until it became our universal tradition. Here are two examples. On the AA calendar, it was year two. In that time, nothing could be seen but two struggling, nameless groups of alcoholics trying to hold their faces up to the light. A newcomer appeared in one of these groups, knocked on the door, and asked to be let in. He talked frankly uh, with that group's oldest member. 
He soon proved that he was in a desperate case and that, above all, he wanted to get well. But, he asked, will you let me join your group? Since I am a victim of another addiction, even worse stigmatized than alcoholism, you may not want me among you, or will you? There was the dilemma. What should the group do? The oldest member summoned two others and, in confidence, laid the explosive facts in their laps. Said he, well, what about it? If we turn this man away, he'll soon die. If we allow him in, only God knows what trouble he'll brew. What shall the answer be, yes or no? At first, the elders uh, could look only at the objections. We deal, they said, with alcoholics only. Shouldn't we sacrifice this one for the sake of the many? So went the discussion while the newcomer's state hung in the balance. Then, one of the three spoke in a very different voice. What we are really afraid of, he said, is our reputation. We were much more afraid of what people might say than the trouble this strange alcoholic might bring. As we've been talking, five short words have been running through my mind. Something keeps repeating to me. What would the master do? Not another word was said. What more indeed could be said? And that was Bill Wilson who said that, by the way. <coughs> and, and the affliction that they were talking about with this individual, I've read some history on it, mm-hmm. but... Not only, not only was the individual, not only was the individual uh, a minority. Not that that would have made a big deal, but they were an opiate addict, basically a laudanum heroin addict, and Monty a cross dresser. Right, right. So, so this this, indi- this individual was a cross dresser. Now, now put yourself back in the late thirties. Oh my gosh. Or, you yeah. know that was a different time. You always have to put yourself back in, back into uh, uh, to the culture uh, that was going on at the time. And and if you think there's a lot of stigma about cross dressing today, imagine what it was like in 1941 or whenever this mm-hmm. happened. Mm-hmm. Now, what what's amazing, I think, what's amazing, I think, is that they came to this conclusion. I think it had a lot to do with Bill, and Bill has always wanted the fellowship to to be open and grow. But uh, but it was it was the right move because this this individual became a very very strong member and helped a whole lot of uh, of uh, other people. And, and there was wasn't there a time though that minorities weren't welcome? Uh, you know you, you hear you hear talks from like uh, like Joe McQuainy and, and and some people who were around a really long time ago. Um, uh, Franklin Williams. These these are these are some of the great great. Uh, African American uh, speakers that we that, that have been uh, around the uh, the twelve step groups for a long, long time, and, and you hear some of their stories, and, and, and yet yeah, they made it very, very tough for uh, for minorities in certain areas, not everywhere, but in, in certain in certain areas, areas yeah, uh, they did, yeah. So you've got uh, you've so you've you've got this 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 stigma. Uh, I mean, to, it, it it just tells me. That God is alive and well in in Alcoholics Anonymous, and you know I've got you you know as well as I do that that I've got some issues with what's going on in today's modern progressive AA as I would call it. Um, and somebody asked me the other day, he said, "Do you still believe God's alive and well in AA?" And I said, "Absolutely." I said, "You're still there, aren't you?" And this yeah. guy, guy's a, a a really strong man of God. And he goes, "Well, yeah, I am." I said, "Well, there you go." Um, and it was in the beginning. I mean, I mean, to, to not ever bring it up again after that one statement, that's got to be God working. And, you know, providence is, is at hand. 
yeah, that's an expression of compassion. Uh, oh, absolutely. Let, you know, he's someone is desperate and they want in. Let's let him in. Overjoyed, the newcomer, the newcomer plugged into the twelve-step work. Uh, and remember, that's what they did back then. There weren't meetings per se uh, when there was the Akron and the Cleveland group. There was twelve-step work. Mm-hmm. You got together with your, you got together with your people, and you went on your twelve steps. Tirelessly, he laid AA's message before scores of people. Since this was a very early group, those scores have since multiplied themselves into thousands. Never did he trouble anyone with his other difficulty. AA had taken it, its first step in the formation of Tradition 3. Not long after the man with the double stigma knocked for admission, AA's other group uh, received into its membership a salesman we should call Ed. A power driver, this one, and brash as any salesman could possibly be. He had at least an idea a minute on how to improve AA. These ideas he sold to fellow members with the same burning enthusiasm with which he distributed all automobile polish. But he had one idea that wasn't so saleable. Ed was an atheist. His pet obsession was that AA could get along better without its God nonsense. He browbeat everybody, and everybody expected that he'd soon get drunk for... for uh, for at the time, you see, AA was on the pious side. There must be a heavy penalty, it was thought, for blasphemy. Distressingly enough, Ed proceeded to stay sober. At length, the same time came for him to speak at a meeting. We shivered for we knew what was coming. He paid a fine tribute to the fellowship. He told how his family had been reunited. He extolled the virtue of honesty. He recalled the joys of 12-step work. And then he lowered the boom, cried, Ed, I can't stand this God stuff. It's a lot of malarkey for weak folks. This group doesn't need it, and I won't have it. To hell with it. A great wave of outrage and resentment engulfed the meeting, sweeping every member to a single resolve. Out he goes. (laughs) The the elders led Ed aside. They said firmly, you can't talk like this around here. You'll have to quit or get out. With great sarcasm, Ed came back at them. Now do tell, is that so? He reached over to the bookshelf and took up a sheaf of papers. On top of them lay the foreword to the book Alcoholics Anonymous, then under preparation. He read aloud, the only requirement for AA membership is a desire to stop drinking. Relentlessly, Ed went on, when you guys wrote that sentence, did you mean it or didn't you? Dismayed, the elders looked at one another, for they knew they had, they had them cold, so Ed stayed. Ed not only stayed. He stayed sober month after month. The longer he kept dry, the louder he talked. Against God. The group was in anguish so deep that all fraternal charity had vanished. When, oh, when, grown members to one another, will that guy get drunk? Quite a while later, Ed got a sales job, which took him out of town. (laughs) I I have to to stop here, Monty. Ed Ed got a sales job that took him out of town. Now, now, uh, now this was uh, this was the the atheist uh, in AA right. that everybody everybody talks about. And what happened was they were so sick of this guy that Bill Wilson and some of the other members, uh, Hank Parkhurst included, made up a fake job for this guy. <laughs> they 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 created a fictitious job that was going to be in Philadelphia or Washington D.C. and they put this guy on a train. That's what they did to get him out of town. So they put him on a train, no money, you're going to Philadelphia, here's your job. And by the time he realized that there was no no gainful gainful employment, uh, here's here's basically what happened. Uh, at the end of a few days, the news came in. He'd sent a telegram for money, and everybody knew what that meant. 
Then he got on the phone. In those days, we'd go anywhere on a 12-step job, no matter how unpromising. But this time, nobody stirred. Leave him alone. Let him try it himself for once. Maybe he'll learn a lesson. About two weeks later, Ed stole by night into an AA member's house, and unknown to the family, went to bed. Daylight found the master of the house and another friend drinking their morning coffee. A noise was heard on the stairs. To their consternation, Ed appeared, quizzical smile on his lips. He said, have you fellows had your morning meditation? They quickly sensed that he was quite in earnest. In fragments, his stories came out. In a neighboring state, Ed had holed up in a cheap hotel. After all his pleas for help had been rebuffed, these words rang in his fevered mind. They have deserted me. I've been deserted by my own kind. This is the end. Nothing is left. As he tossed on his bed, his hand brushed the bureau nearby, uh, touching a book. Opening the book, he read it. It was a Gideon Bible. Ed never confided any more of what he saw and felt in that home hotel room. It was the year 1938. He hasn't had a drink since. Nowadays, when old-timers who knew Ed uh, foregather, they exclaim, what if we had actually succeeded in throwing Ed out for blasphemy? What would have happened to him and all the others he later helped? So the hand of providence early gave us a sign that any alcoholic is a member of our society when he says so. And I will, uh, I will point out the third place in this particular tradition where it says any alcoholic right. uh, who chooses uh, to be in our membership as well. Uh, that is one of the greatest all-time stories, I'm telling you. I just love that story every time I, I hear it. Uh, <laughs> it is, I, you can just picture these characters setting this poor guy up, you know. Well, we got to get rid of him. What are we going to do? I don't know. <laughs> I know. We'll tell him there's a job waiting for him in Philadelphia, and we'll get him a ticket. I mean, literally, literally, that's what they did. And uh, and when he got there, he realized there was no job. He had no money, and he holds up in a one dollar a night hotel or something, you know, try and got drunk. And uh, you know, I mean, what what else? What what else would you expect? But uh, but how funny is that? I, I really I really think that's a that's a great story. <laughs> it, it's it's it probably wasn't real funny at the time to him, but he must have. He must have chuckled about it later. I mean, he must have just cracked up later because. Uh, and he breaks into somebody's house, you know, after he gets back to town. I mean, it's, yeah. It's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's <laughs> you know, I'll tell you, in, in some of my early days working with people, I worked with, uh, with knuckleheads. Oh, man. And crazy things were always happening. You know, in this day and age, I'm a lot, I'm a lot more careful. I mean, I've had some, I've had some serious things happen. Um, uh, that, that caused uh, grave concern to family members, you know, when working with people. You know, I've had them showed up, show up drunk at midnight, you know, in, in my house when I was out, you know, and knocking on the door and, and hassling my wife. I, I've had some, I've had some things that were, but I've had my life threatened a couple of times, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and th- some crazy things have happened. And I, I'm just, I'm just more careful uh, today who I work with. I, I mean, I don't just go blind into. Uh, a twelve-step situation anymore. Right. Uh, there's a there, there's a method I use to judge willingness, and desperation, and willingness. And if someone meets that, you know, I, I know I'm gonna I'm gonna be okay. If somebody doesn't, there's just too many people who just want out of a jackpot. You know, they they don't sure. want they don't want to change their life. Uh, they just want to stop getting in trouble for a while. You know, and yeah. 
and and working with working with those those types of people a lot of times it's just a, it's a waste of my time. So uh, so I don't do it. You know, uh, I, I really want uh, somebody to have uh, have some type of uh, serious willingness because then then you know we can both benefit. Uh, without willingness, we both lose. Uh, right. You know I mean? Right. Yeah. And I just I had the. Um... Uh, it wasn't real pleasant, but it had to be done. I, I had to talk to somebody here just last week and I had to let him go. I had, I had just had to say, say, you know, my, my door is not locked. It is unlocked. You can come and go, you know, when you're ready, but I am shutting it. Um, you know, you, you just can't fly in here and fly out of here just on a whim every time you stub your toe and you don't have any kind of commitment. You don't have any, you know, and the guy's sober. And it's not like, and he's been for a while. And it's not like we're dealing with uh, somebody who is still reeling from amphetamine psychosis or alcohol uh, uh, psychosis or something like that. You know, we're dealing with somebody who just doesn't want to go any further. And I've had to say, okay, you know, that that's fine. I love you. But uh, you know, you know where I'm at, and when you're ready, we'll we'll do this thing. But for now, you know, I've got other people knocking on my door, man. You know, uh, Monty, there may be uh, only one requirement for membership in the fellowship, right? Uh, of any specific fellowship, but there's a whole lot of requirements for me to work with you. Yeah, yeah, and and you know you you need to you need to meet some minimum requirements, or or I'm not going to waste my time with you. Now I'm I'm also not going to tell you you shouldn't be in the meetings or to go away. I, you know I'm not I'm not going to do that. Right. Uh, I'll be the first person to defend your right to be in that particular meeting, but uh, that does not mean that I have to waste my time with you. Does not mean that I have to give you a ride back to the booby hatch. Does not mean that I have to lend you money or buy you a pack of cigarettes or you know or answer your phone calls at four in the morning. None of that stuff. Uh, none of that stuff applies. Uh, you know, I have uh, I have some some vigorous uh, membership requirements in uh, in being sponsored by or working with me, and and uh, I've I've come to them through bitter experience. Um, the, the, the qualifiers that I use now are, are basically willingness and participation in a recovery process and being teachable. Uh, you know, those are, those are the main uh, requirements. If you're, if you're not teachable, if you just want to use me as a sounding board and you want to run your own recovery process, bye-bye, you know. Yeah. I'm not going to allow somebody who's really sick to be in charge of their own recovery process. I mean, would you would you go into the hospital and start telling the surgeon where to cut? <laughs> you know, yeah. that's crazy. But there are a lot of people who want want to do that. They're willing to do certain things. They're not willing to do other things. Well, well, no, no. You, you need to be willing to go to any lengths. You, you need to be willing to follow all of my directions. You know, unless they're unethical, uh, illegal, <laughs> yeah. uh, dangerous. You know, uh, uh, you need to absolutely uh, follow uh, my direction, or else, or else, what, what's happening is is uh, you know you're you're basically saying uh, you don't want to recover. You may not think that's what you're saying, but that's what you're saying. That's what you're saying. You know? and, sure. And, and uh, uh, again, there's way more than one requirement for 
uh, for membership and, and, you know, me spending time with you. And, and this brings me to a question. I've had a couple of, uh, of listeners ask me to ask you this um, about this tradition. This tradition is is uh, waved about really recklessly sometimes um, when it comes to you know we can be divided on whether the the meeting itself is safe because somebody who is very unsafe is there. Um, uh, case in point, uh, a, a gentleman uh, several years ago came in with a loaded pistol. And he, he wasn't carrying it because he had the right to, and the license to carry a concealed weapon. He was carrying it recklessly in his hand. Um, we asked him to to put it in his car, you know, that, and he refused. And so we asked him to leave the meeting and come back, you know, at the, at the next meeting uh, without it. And boy, did some of us get blasted for that. Uh, the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. Well, there's a difference between claiming yourself as a member and being an active participant and and being safe in the meetings. Don't you agree? Well, you know, first first of all, the, the, the traditions are the traditions. Laws are laws. And I think if somebody is holding a loaded handgun in a, in a public place, uh, you know, waving it around in a reckless manner, I would believe that uh, a police officer would find that illegal. Yes. So, so listen, the traditions are traditions, but I'm all about calling the police on somebody if they're breaking, if they're breaking the law. Now, I'm not talking about somebody who might have a little bit of, you know, drugs in their pocket or, you know, or, or, or you know, I'm talking, I'm talking about dangerous people. Yeah. People that, people that are dangerous. You know, we, we don't go to meetings, we don't engage in the recovery process to get killed. That's not why we're doing it. And uh, in, that, in that particular situation, I probably would have 911 the guy, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, which is probably a lot stricter than, than what you guys did. You guys just kindly asked them to leave. Uh, right. You know, one one time, one time in the, in a in a support group meeting, uh, somebody pulled a knife on another member. They had both been seeing the same girl, and this guy is pulling a knife and he's walking toward this other this other member. And people realized what was happening. People knew what was going on. And three very big members grabbed this guy, dragged him outside, held him, and called the police. And he was taken away. Uh, he was arrested for. Uh, uh, for uh, attempted assault with a deadly weapon, and he spent many years in jail. And there's not a person at that meeting who had any problem with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was uh, that was uh, one of the one of the places I was going. You know, I, I went to for like 20 years. Uh, no, no one did. They saw they saw how violent and how antisocial this particular act was. And we're not about violence, and we're not about antisocial behavior. Uh, as part of our recovery process. Let, let, let me give you one more example, and then and, and we are we are almost out of time. Uh, sure. I uh, and this was a personal experience with me. Um, I had a stalker, and um, I, I feel I feel almost like a celebrity when I say that somebody was stalking me. <laughs> you're, you're nothing to have your own stalker. Yeah, uh, but uh, I had a stalker. And uh, this gentleman was um, threatening to to do bodily harm to me, and it was so severe um, 
his behavior was so severe outside of the meetings, inside of the meetings, that we had to get a stalking order against him uh, to protect myself, my children, and my wife. Um, so the stalking order read that this is not this is not a uh, what's the other order that they have uh, restraining order. It's not a restraining order. This is much more serious. Um, the stalking order read that if he was within eyesight of me, in other words, if I saw him walking down the freeway a mile down, if I saw him, I could have him arrested. That, that's how serious it was. Um, now, I would not do that because I'm not that much of a jerk, you know. But the deal of it is it's to stop him from, like, following us to the grocery store, you know, doing things like that. Uh, so I... Obviously, what was included was in that was that if I was at any location and he was within eyeshot of me, he couldn't be there, particularly if he was sitting across from me in a meeting. And uh, that was the law. That wasn't necessarily my choice. I had no problem with him being in a meeting. I really didn't. But the law was the law. And I was told by our... Um, uh, uh, our district uh, representative that the law trumps the traditions. Absolutely. You know, and uh, so they, they didn't have any problem with it. But I had a whole bunch of people really ticked off at me because I was keeping him from going to AA meetings or NA meetings. And um, that wasn't the case at all. But <laughs> I wasn't doing that. People really like, some people really like to use these traditions as weapons. They're not weapons. Yeah. They're spiritual principles. They are spiritual principles, and they're, they're not laws. You know, they're spiritual principles. And, and again, uh, uh, where it makes sense, the whole ultimate, uh, ultimate purpose of these traditions is, is uh, to maintain unity, to, to be able to have uh, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous or whatever 12-step, 12 tradition uh, fellowship you're involved in, to, to have that, uh, that fellowship survive, for there to be unity in the meetings. Now, if a tradition actually harms unity, like if you're using the, the open tradition to make it fine for anybody to come into the, the meeting and there's a bunch of crazy people who are just showing up for the, for the coffee and they're disrupting the meeting, then, then that's a misapplication of the tradition. Right. All right? And you have every right in the world to break that tradition in an effort to achieve what the true goal is, and that goal is unity, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I, I can tell you uh, 20 or 30 times where, uh, where, where things that would have looked like uh, tradition breaks were used, but it was an appropriate use of that uh, particular action, whatever it was, because in the end it promoted unity. It, it, didn't, it didn't break right. unity, it promoted it. Right, right, exactly. My sponsor used to say, the traditions are written in jello. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, More man. of a right to break them than people have a right to punish you for breaking them. That, that's, that's exactly right. All right, well, next week, Tradition 4, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or AA as a whole. This one can be a little controversial too, can't it? 
Sure. Yeah, you so, bet. So, well, if it's not, we'll make it controversial. Yeah, you bet. Yeah, that's, that's right. Well, we are. We'll have fun. And, that, and that's one of the great things about doing this show is we can have a lot of fun with this, too, uh, and, and help educate people on, on what's going on and, and, and uh, laugh at ourselves a little bit. All right, my friends. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you, Chris. Uh, Folks, remember our email, take12radio at comcast.net. You can listen to every one of these shows uh, on the the main page. Go to the link on the main page that says Walking Through the 12 and 12 with Chris Schroeder. And we will see you guys next week. Until next time, this is the Monty Man along with Chris, and we're wishing God's perfect serenity for you. Bye-bye. This has been a broadcast of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting.